Amen. You can be seated. Thanks, Tony. Well, welcome to Phoenix Bible Church. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. If you're new, we're glad you're here. If you're not new, welcome back. Uh, We just started a new series last week called Encounters with Jesus. Skeptics, sinners, and saints, welcome. And so welcome this morning if you're a skeptic, sinner, or saying, or really any type of person, as we see in the Gospels and as we want to see in our church, is that we come into contact with all sorts of people. And so as you look at the life of Jesus, he does that. Uh, he meets with all kinds of people. And the reality is these encounters still impact us today. And not only do they impact us, they teach us how to impact everyone around us. And so it's the second part of our mission statement as a church that we want to live like Jesus. And so we want to look at that and see what does that actually look like to live like Jesus. And what's great about Jesus is that Jesus came to earth. He lived amongst us. He talked with real people, with real issues. And so what's great about that is do you know anybody with some some real people, with some real issues? That's everybody in this room, right? And that's everybody outside of this room that we interact with on a daily basis. And so as a people who think about what does it look like to live like Jesus, we need to look at the life of Jesus and the encounters he has with these types of people that impact us that also impact how we engage others. So that's why we're going through that series. And last week we looked at Jesus and the shameful in Luke chapter 5. This morning we're looking at Jesus and the religious in Luke chapter Six. And if you look at your passage, look on the screen, there's two primary groups of people that Jesus interacts with. You have the Pharisees and you have the scribes. So maybe you've heard about these guys, but the Pharisees are Jewish people who devoted their whole life to fulfill the details of the law. They studied it, they knew it, they knew all the details of it. In fact, they even added some details to it. And they devoted their life to follow it to a T. The second group of people you have in this passage is the scribes. So the scribes were scholars who would teach and interpret Jewish law for other people. So these are the religious people of the day. These are the people with all of the credentials. And then you have Jesus. Jesus comes on the scene with apparently no credentials, seemingly no credentials. He's not a scribe. He's not a Pharisee. He shows up on the scene just as he is. In fact, we see that he's a carpenter by trade. His closest followers, his leadership team, if you will, are fishermen, which is, isn't that amazing? Right? Jesus shows up on the scene with all the religious people who have all these credentials, and Jesus says, I'm a carpenter, and I'm going to go rally the elite. You know the fishermen? <laughs> and that's how we're going to get this thing started, the Christi- Christianity and the church. That's how it's going to get kicked off and rolling with these guys. It's a stark contrast from the religious people of that day. And yet, Jesus comes in complete authority. He has complete authority. And so as you can imagine, this is early in Jesus' ministry as we approach Luke 6, and Jesus has been teaching, he's been healing, he's been casting out demons, and there's masses that he's beginning to draw in. And so the religious people are beginning to take notice of this, and they're looking at Jesus, who has no credentials, and they're thinking, we have all these credentials, and they're thinking, who is this Jesus guy? Like, we're the ones who are supposed to be doing all of that. Who is this guy? And so we come to our text in chapter 6, 
And we see the religious people have started to follow him around. They're trying to do a, a few things. They're trying to test him. They're trying to accuse him. And at the end of the day, they're trying to destroy him. And on the surface, the issue in this passage is what's called the Sabbath. And we're going to get into that, but what you'll see later is that it goes deeper than the Sabbath. The, the issues they had with him go deeper than that. They're a heart issue that they had that's deeply rooted in their lives. And we're going to look at that and how we can have that in our lives as well. So here's why, just starting with the Sabbath, here's why the religious people get so spun up about Jesus' use of the Sabbath. Two things. Jesus proclaims he's Lord of the Sabbath. You see that in verses one through five. And then Jesus proves he's Lord of the Sabbath, verses six through 11. So look at verse one with me. Verse one, it says, it's the Sabbath, and Jesus and his disciples are going through grain fields. And his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. So you got the picture? They're in a grain field, picking some some grain and rubbing in their hands to eat it as food. Verse two, the Pharisees are looking over their shoulders while they're in a field. So just let that sink in for a minute. A little stalkerish. All right, they're walking through a field and some guys are, are hovering around them looking over their shoulders because that's what religious people do. They look over your shoulder and they're watching Jesus and seeing how Jesus is gonna act on the Sabbath. And so they say, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? So a few things you need to know about the Sabbath. First, the Sabbath literally means deep rest or deep peace. And here's where it originally comes from. The beginning, right? Genesis 1. God creates for six days, and on the seventh day, he did what? He rested. All right? And he includes that in the Ten Commandments to us, the fourth commandment. He says, I rested, and so you should too. So the Sabbath is about rest. It's this deep peace, deep rest, right? But it's really more than rest. What you see with the nation of Israel is this set, of the, this set them apart. This separated them as a nation unto God. Because they said, hey, we're going to take one day off. We're going to trust God with that day, the one true God with that day. We're going to worship him and rest in him because he is God of the universe, and so the nation of Israel was set apart by the Sabbath. So it was about rest, but it was also about worship. So that's the Sabbath. Now the religious people, they think some additions need to be made to this. And so scholars think the Pharisees had come up with over 30 things you could not do on the Sabbath. Because if you did those things, that maybe they would be venturing out of the realm of rest. So that's where the Pharisees are coming from in this passage. For the religious people of that day, the Sabbath was no longer about rest. It had become about rules. No longer about rest, had become about rules. So they're questioning Jesus. Why are your disciples picking and eating grain? And Jesus responds. Listen to how he responds, verse three. He says, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat and also gave it to those with him? And so I love this about Jesus. Jesus knows his Bible, right? Jesus quotes scripture. Do you see that? He's referencing 1 Samuel 21 in the Old Testament. And this is a trend for Jesus. He quotes the Old Testament 179 times in the Gospels. And so as the religious come at him with their rules, with their traditions, and with their list, Jesus comes back with what? The Bible, right? 
Jesus knew his Bible. And so we need to know our Bible. And so as you think about life and you think about whether you're religious, which is what we're talking about today, whether you're rebellious, that either way in life, every issue you come to in life, you need to measure it against Scripture. That's what Jesus does. That's what we need to do. He models that for us, even as the Son of God. And here's why briefly, we're not going to go way into this, but here's why he references 1 Samuel 21 just briefly. Maybe that seems kind of odd to you. You're, You're trying to see the connection between that. Well, here's why. In 1 Samuel 21, you have David running from King Saul. You guys heard of this story? David's running from King Saul, running for his life, and him and his men run out of food. And so they go to a priest and get some consecrated bread to eat, which typically was a no-no, right? So as we look at the life of Jesus, he's referencing this in 1 Samuel 21 because David was on a mission from God as the eventual king, right? So David's on a mission from God. He's running from Saul. He knows that God has anointed him as the eventual king. Jesus is also on a mission. He's going to be the king of kings, right? He has a mission from God. And along the way, David needs some food, and Jesus and his men need some food. And so what Jesus is saying is that God has a greater purpose for him and a greater purpose for the Sabbath, that if they need food along the way, in the midst of this greater mission and this greater purpose, that that's not a violation of God's law. Do you see that? That's the connection Jesus is making. And so he's telling the Pharisees, you've missed the point. Like you've missed the heart of the Sabbath. In fact, in Mark 2, you don't have to go there. Mark 2 is the the parallel passage for this passage in Luke 6. It, It tells the same story just from a different angle. And it says that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You see that? Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so what that text is telling us is that the Sabbath was a gift to be enjoyed. It wasn't a burden, it was a blessing. It wasn't something to rule over you, that it was meant for you to rest and to worship God. So that's the purpose of the Sabbath. And Jesus is saying to the religious people, you've missed the point. But he takes it a step further. Look at verse five. Verse five, he says, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. And right now you hear in the background, Ooh, right? I mean, talk about a comeback. Like, not only, like, here's why I ate that food, but just so you know, like, I own all of this. In fact, the Sabbath was my idea. You remember in the beginning in creation, Genesis 1? That was me. (laughs) What amazing authority that Jesus has. He's before all these people that have all these man-made traditions and credentials, and he just blows them out of the water, and he says, you know what, I created all of that. And you're questioning me? You're missing the whole point. I am the point of the Sabbath. That you want to find rest? You want to find that deep peace? You find that in me. That he says, I'm the son of man. That's the messianic title of divinity from Daniel chapter 7. Jesus says, I'm that guy that was foretold about. I'm that guy, and because of that, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. It was my idea. So the whole purpose of the Sabbath, and listen, as you think about the law and the Old Testament, and you wonder, like, how do we read that? How do we take that today, right? As you think about that, every command in the Old Testament 
the Ten Commandments, the 613 that are in the Old Testament total, all of those point to Jesus. All of those ultimately are designed to reveal our sin and to point us to the perfect sacrifice that is Jesus Christ. So the point of the Sabbath, the point of every command in Scripture is so that we get more of Jesus. Do you see that? So as you look at the Sabbath and you look at the religious people, they're focusing so much on this law that they're missing the whole heart of the Sabbath, which is Jesus Christ. But Jesus wants to point them to the heart of it. That it's not just about rest, it's about getting more of him. It's about worship. This is why you can just do nothing and not feel rested. Like you know those days where you just watch like a whole season of The Office? Or two seasons? Or three seasons? Or four seasons? You know who you are. You know those days where you do that and you just think, man, we're going to just take a day of rest. And the next day you're talking to a buddy and he says, hey man, how are you doing? And you think about it, and you're like, I'm, I'm good. I'm a little tired. And they're like, oh, yeah, what have you been up to? Um, oh, you know, binge watching on Netflix. But that was really, it was, it was a tough day, I think. I, I'm just, I'm a little tired from that. That's why you can spend a whole day doing nothing and not feel rested. Because why? Where is rest found? It's found in Jesus. As we look at how to do the Sabbath and as you look at that in your own life, you need to orchestrate it around how do you get more of Jesus? What does that look like? You can watch seasons of The Office. I love football season. I I love it. Sometimes a little bit too much. You can hold me accountable to that later, right? Today is the second week of the NFL. Man, I want to go home after we do a newcomer's lunch and I want to watch football, right? I want to get some chips and queso and just go to town. But that's not where I need to find my ultimate rest. Do you see that? So I don't know what you consider as restful in your life, but you need to know if it doesn't include Jesus, if there's not a rhythm in your life that includes resting in, trusting in, worshiping Jesus, that you miss the heart of the Sabbath. And that's what we see the Pharisees, the religious, do in this passage. And so Jesus proclaims that he's the point. The disciples, they get to experience that. Isn't that amazing? They get to live life with Jesus. And so they're, on the, they're experiencing the Sabbath. And I can just imagine what they're thinking. Like the Pharisees, the religious, they're coming at us like they don't know who this is. Like we're with the right guy. And we're actually experiencing what the Sabbath talked about firsthand. The Pharisees, they had that opportunity, but they made it about rules instead of rest. So Jesus proclaims that he's the heart, he's the point of the Sabbath, but he doesn't just do that. He proves it. Look at verse 6. Verse 6. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. So we come to another Sabbath, and it's another day of stalking by the religious people. This is what they do, right? And so what's the irony in this is that they're not resting themselves. What are they doing? They're working. It's a lot of work to try to find something on a perfect, sinless man. You see that? They're working. They're accusing Jesus and his men of not resting and not obeying the Sabbath properly. And yet, 
they're working and they're not obeying the Sabbath properly. You see the duplicity in that? And so Jesus knew their thoughts. He knew that they were watching him and he decides to stir the pot. So look at the verse. He says to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here, verse eight. And it says he rose and he stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to them, said to him, the man with the withered hand, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury, the religious people, and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. And so Jesus creates a little controversy. And what's interesting is he could have healed this guy discreetly. You think about that? As you look at this, Jesus could have healed this guy a lot more discreetly. He didn't have to have him stand up in the middle of the room. Like there was a couple other options than that. He could have walked by and whispered to the guy and just said, hey, don't freak out. Don't jump up and down or anything. Don't get too excited. But your hand, that problem you had, healed it. Right? Like, save that for later. Just kind of act like it's still withered. But I just, I just healed it. It's okay. Just go along about your way. He could have done that. He could have waited till the next day to heal it and just said, I'm going to put this off till the next day so I don't stir up the pot. But what I love about Jesus is that he confronts the issue head on. He confronts the religious's heart issue head on. He says to the man, stand up. And he comes out. He stretches out his hand, and he's healed. But notice, Jesus doesn't do any work. Jesus doesn't do any work. The man sticks out his hand, and he's healed. And so Jesus respects the Sabbath. We just talked about this last week, that Jesus touched this leper. Do you remember this from last week, Luke 5? Jesus touches this leper, and he heals him of all his disease. And we talked about, did Jesus have to touch that guy? No. All throughout the Gospels, Jesus heals people by just a word. He did it later in Luke chapter 5 with a man that was paralyzed. He said, rise up and walk. So he didn't have to touch the leper. What is he doing? He's making a point. He's making a point of compassion. In this case, he does nothing. He, does, he doesn't touch the man because he's making a point of complete authority. Do you see that? He's saying, I'm going to respect the Sabbath because it is really important, and I'm not going to work, but I'm going to show you in front of God and everybody how I am Lord of the Sabbath, so much so that I can heal this man just as he stretches out his hand, that I don't even have to touch him. Jesus proves that he's Lord of the Sabbath, and the religious people are speechless, which is odd for them. Right? And if you know religious people, they're not usually speechless. they got a lot to say. But in this case, if you look at the text, they don't have anything to say. The best they can do is get angry, and they start thinking how to take Jesus out. Because Jesus proves that he's Lord of the, of the Sabbath. But he doesn't just do that. He demonstrates that he respects the heart of the Sabbath. So right after this, in verse 12, Jesus goes up in the mountains. He prays all day and night. He spends time with God the Father. He worships and he rests. So Jesus loves the Sabbath. And listen, you should too. 
So Jesus isn't just this rebellious guy who's trying to shake things up, right? Jesus is doing what he does throughout his life and ministry. He's getting to the heart, right? He's getting past the traditions, past the rules, and he's getting to the heart of the Sabbath. And he goes on to practice the Sabbath in verse 12. He loves it, and you should too. If you think about it, the Sabbath, because God created it, it puts you in line with how the universe is supposed to function. So you just think about your life. You think about your marriage. How much more do you get out of your marriage when you're rested? How much more patient with your kids are you when you're rested? How much more efficient are you in school and at work when you're rested? Some of you are thinking, I don't know, because I'm too busy, right? I never actually experienced rest. You need to take Sabbath. You need to rest and worship God, because it's not just about taking naps. Like, if you walk away and that's your main application, like, honey, Pastor Tim said I need to take more naps. So you got the dishes, right? That's not the, that's not the takeaway from this. The takeaway is you need to center all of life on Jesus. You need to have intentional time where you Sabbath and focus on rest in him. So the Sabbath is an amazing gift. It leads us to Jesus. So how did the Pharisees focus so much on the Sabbath that they missed the Lord of the Sabbath? How did the Pharisees focus so much on the Sabbath that they missed clearly Jesus being the Lord of the Sabbath? How do the religious miss the Lord? How do the religious miss Jesus in that day and in our day? Because listen, this ultimately isn't just about the Pharisees and making fun of them. These are tendencies you and I have in this room. And so we need to ask, how do we miss Jesus because of religious or religiosity or religion? The first way I think we do this is we come up with new commands. You see that with the Pharisees and coming up with these extra lists to observe the Sabbath. And so these are rules and traditions that we say, God, you may not have fully thought this through. Like maybe we need to add to it. That's what the religious people of the day did then. And listen, sometimes that's what we do. And you need to know the difference. Guardrails in your life are wise and good. Like some of you have those in your life and you need to have those. Some of you don't have guardrails in your life and you need to add some in your life. Some, some wisdom where you get around some other people and you think, you know what, if I'm married, it's not wise for me to spend time alone with another woman. Like it doesn't say that explicitly in scripture but that's a guardrail I need to have in my life. Like you need to have those things in your life. If you have a, a problem with alcohol, you shouldn't go hang out at the bar all the time because that's a guardrail that you have in your life. So you won't go down a road towards drunkenness. If you struggle with sexual immorality, then you don't want to stay up all night and just stare at your computer and see what website you might go to. You want to have guardrails. So listen, guardrails, good and wise things. The problem is it becomes legalism when you say, those guardrails that work for me that aren't in scripture, they need to work for you. You see that? These things that work for me, they need to work for you. And that's the, what the religious people of this day did. And that's what we do when we get religious is we say, these things that work for me, they need to work for everybody else. And when they don't, we get a little bit stalkerish. And we start looking over people's shoulders. Hey, hey, why are you going there? Why are you talking to that person? You let your kids watch that? I mean, you know, it's 
PG, parental guidance. Like, you shouldn't, we do this, right? And we just, we set up these guardrails in our head, and they're great, and they're wise, but then we say they're standards for other people to follow. Listen, when we do that, we're making new law. God doesn't need that. He did a good job himself. He knew what he was doing. He made the law in the Old Testament. He sent Jesus to fulfill the law in the new. We don't need to add to it. And so we can do this in church, and we do. We, We see a song or we sing a song that we don't like, and we say, why do we have to sing that song? Why does it have to have that beat? <laughs> Why don't we sing these other songs? Why do those people dress like that? Why do we always talk about this? Why do we have this program and not that program? Why is that guy leading and not this guy leading? And we start looking over people's shoulders, and we have our own standard, our own law, our own list in our head that we came up with, and we start holding everybody else to that in the church. Listen, you need to know that is toxic. Churches don't die because of Westboro Baptist. They die because of things like that. You hear the stories. What happened to that church? Weren't they doing great? Wasn't it awesome? Weren't they there for a long time? Yeah. What happened? A group of people Another group of people, a small group of people got together and they said, let's come up with some new laws. That would be fun. Let's come up with some new laws and let's criticize everything and everybody who doesn't subscribe to our laws. And that's how churches crumble. That's how churches disunify. You see it all the time. Listen, as a new church, we're almost a year in, we've got to stay away from making new laws. We've got to be committed to the truth of Scripture, to the love of Jesus, and then, yes, set up guardrails and ask people about how they're doing and get in community groups and have accountability. But as soon as you step over that line and you say, no, my laws are more important than anybody else's, you become Lord of the Sabbath and you become Lord of everything else. And listen, that's a tough thing to admit if we have that tendency, but you need to acknowledge it if that's where you're at this morning because it it kills churches and it kills relationships. We become critical consumers instead of contributing Christians, and it's toxic. So how do we get to where the religious people get? How do we miss Jesus amidst traditions and rules and laws? We come up with new ones, and we expect everybody else to hold to them. The second way we do this is we elevate certain commands over others. So the religious people, they get so spun up about the Sabbath and protecting the law that they want to do what? They want to kill Jesus. So just let that sink in for a minute. I don't know how familiar you are with the law, but there's something in there about, you know, not killing people, But the Pharisees and the religious get so spun up and so fired up about the Sabbath and their list of 30 plus things that they have and their new commands and their new laws, so much to the extent that they they say, hey, how can we get rid of this guy? And they forget, there's a law for that too, right? Thou shalt not murder, kill, yeah. There's a law for that too. What they've done is they've elevated certain commands over others. Do you see that? 
We do that too. So it's those times when we do know someone else who has a drinking problem, and we think about going to that guy because that would be loving and speak the truth and love to him, but nobody does that. (laughs) We go to 10 other people and talk about that guy's problem. What is that called? Gossip. So we look at drunkenness, and we say, you know, that's a really big law. That's a really big command. We got to protect that. And to do that, I'm going to gossip. <laughs> because gossip, you know, it's kind of a gray issue, right? I mean, who can really know? <laughs> I mean, sometimes we just have to say things because we don't want to lie. We don't want to just stand back. We have to talk about it. And we elevate other commands over others. We do this with homosexuality. It's a big topic in our culture, right? As soon as I said that, you probably just, your stomach dropped a little bit, right? We do this with homosexuality. Where we look at it and we elevate it and we say, man, it's not just a sin. That is the sin of our history and our culture. We have to come out against it. And we protest and we do all these things. And then we're living with our girlfriend. Do you see the duplicity in that? We're elevating some commands over others. So this isn't just about the Pharisees. We do this. You and I. I do this. And we need to confess and repent of that. The third way we miss Jesus is we trade relationship for ritual. We turn delight into duty. So we give, but we do so out of compulsion. We don't do so cheerfully. We give because we know we're supposed to. We do so out of compulsion. We attend church Every Sunday, not to connect and be known and to worship because that's what Jesus has called us to and his beautiful mission that Jesus invites us into. We don't do it for those reasons. We do it, if we're honest, to check a box. We know everything about everything, but if you look at our lives, there's no obedience. There's no intimacy. There's no discipleship of pouring into others. But, man, you spend five minutes with me, I know a lot. But we don't ever put it to use. These are ways we can trade relationship for ritual. And so this morning, you need to ask, am I prone to get caught up in religion and miss Jesus? If so, how? Maybe it's not one of those ways. Maybe it's another way. Are you prone to get caught up in religion and miss Jesus? And a better question, how do we not do that, right? Like, are you feeling convicted yet? (laughs) Like, if we ended here, that would just be pretty frustrating. How do we not go there? I think there's two primary ways. You can write these down. Here's what we learned from Jesus in this encounter. The first thing, we honor God's truth over tradition. We honor God's truth over tradition. What I love about Jesus is that he quotes the Old Testament. So if you think Jesus is against the Old Testament, Old Testament is against the New Testament, Jesus blows that out of the water. He says, no, I'm going to quote it. In fact, he quotes it 179 times in the Gospels. Jesus loves truth over tradition. And he tries to point the Pharisees and the disciples to that. And so for us, we don't need to just go through the motions of going to church and Bible study and more Bible studies and more Bible studies and conferences and reading scripture and blogs and listening to podcasts and miss the heart of knowing and being transformed by who? Jesus. 
that we could do all those things that are traditions in our lives. Maybe you grew up doing this. Maybe your family grew up doing this. Maybe you have a group of friends and it's kind of fun to do all these things and you check all these boxes of tradition off the list, but you miss truth. You miss Jesus. And so an example of that in my life, I do this. Family devotion. We have these. We try to almost every night. So we get together. We have three kids. One doesn't have a clue what's going on because she's four months. The other two do, right? And so we get together and we try to have a family devotional every night. But sometimes, if I'm honest, that becomes more about tradition than about truth. And here's how I know that. Because there's some nights where we're trying to have a family devotional centered on Jesus. And I get a little angry. Why? Because my kids aren't focusing on the Bible and listening to Daddy talk about Jesus. They choose that time to run around to pull all their toys out of the baskets, to laugh, to be silly. And I'm trying to knock this devotional out. And so I'm like, guys, can you just shut it for a minute? We're trying to focus on Jesus. We're trying to focus on truth. And as soon as that happens, I know, I think this is more about tradition than truth. I think I want to be able to say, like, we do a family devotional every single night. Do you do that? We need to hold to truth over tradition. Here's how we do that. As you sit down in the morning at the table with your Beth Moore Bible study, some of you, with your C.S. Lewis, The Weight of Glory, when you listen to Matt Chandler or the Phoenix Bible Church podcast, whichever preference you have. As you do all those things, as you read blogs, as you look at scripture, when you sit down at the table, if you do that in the morning, if you listen to audio in the car, as you do that, you need to be really intentional about anticipating Jesus to move in your life. About anticipating that at the end of this, I wanna see Jesus as greater. I wanna see Jesus as more beautiful I want to see Jesus as better. I've said this before, but the Puritans used to say it this way. How do you dislodge something in the heart? You replace it with a more beautiful thing. That you would see Jesus as you would look at Scripture, as you listen to podcasts, that you would anticipate, that you would prayerfully come to that table with whatever you come to it with, and you would say, Jesus, and you would pray, literally, you would anticipate for God to move, for him to reveal sin, and replace it with truth, that you would soak in the truth of God. That's more than just reading five verses or busting out the Jesus calling. That's focusing on the truth of God over tradition. And so when I read scripture, I always wanna ask two questions. And I read scripture and I preach and I'm a pastor. And so every time I do that, I always wanna ask two questions. I wanna ask, what does this text say? What does this podcast say? about who Jesus is, and then what does it say about who I am in Jesus? So what does it say about who Jesus is, and what does it say about who I am in Jesus? That's just what I do, you can do something else, but you need to go to scripture, you need to go to truth, not just as a tradition that you check off, but you need to be intentional about seeing your identity in Christ. How does that work itself out in obedience? 
How does that work itself out in intimacy with him, in connection with others, in serving others, in declaring and demonstrating the gospel? Because that's where the religious get off, is they miss that, and they miss Jesus because of it. So let's not do that. Let's honor God's truth over your traditions. Be intentional with that. The second way, don't miss people for the sake of principle. Don't miss people for the sake of principle. So I'm not saying give up principles. I'm saying don't get so wrapped up in principles that you miss out on loving people. That's what the religious did with the man with the withered hand. Did they look at that guy and say, hey, here's an opportunity to love this guy? No, they were so caught up in their principle. I imagine they didn't hate the guy. I didn't imagine, I don't imagine they wanted his hand to be withered. I don't imagine they wanted to rub that in, but they missed loving that guy for a principle. They got so caught up in it. So as you look at your life, don't let passion drown out compassion. Don't let being right drown out being righteous. Focus on the right things, being righteous, showing compassion, showing love. Hold to principles. Hold to truth. Hold it tightly. Make sure you're holding to the right truth. Make sure you know scripture and what it says, and you're holding to that. But do it with love. One thing about the religious in that day and in our day is we love commands, right? What's the greatest commandment? According to Jesus, love God, love your neighbor. So it seems like that's a pretty big deal. Don't miss that for a principle. Hold the principles, do it with grace, and do it with love. So that's for people in this room, people inside of our church and outside of our church. Grace and truth, speaking the truth in love. Lastly, don't miss person for principles. It's not on the slide, but it's not just that we miss people for principles. We can miss a person for principles. So the saddest thing about this passage is that the Pharisees, they had Jesus, the Son of God. They knew the Jewish law so well. The scribes, they taught it, they interpreted it. The Pharisees, they focused their whole life on fulfilling the details of the law. And yet, he shows up and they miss the one who fulfilled the law. You see that? Don't focus so much on principles, rules, and traditions that you miss Jesus. And listen, we're all prone to, to get involved in this at different seasons in our life. Maybe you're here today and you're like, man, that used to be where I was and Jesus set me free from that. Praise God. But maybe you're here today and you say, man, I have some tendencies that if I'm not careful, I can go down this road and I can miss Jesus because of religion. And I don't want you to go there. I don't want our church to go there. And so as you think about the things you do, the things you don't do, your rules and traditions, don't miss Jesus. And listen, as we talk about the Sabbath, don't miss what true rest is, what real rest is in a relationship with him. Let's pray. Well, Father, I want to thank you that in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our brokenness, that some of us know all too well, even this morning, that you didn't just send us principles, that you sent us a person, that you sent us Jesus Christ, that he lived amongst us, and we have an account of that. I pray that we would read it, that we would soak 
the truth of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection into our heads and into our hearts so that we see the landscape of life and we know clearly what is truth and what is tradition. And some of those traditions are great, but some of those, if we elevate them over your truth, we can get off the rails. And so I pray that we wouldn't do that. God, I thank you that you sent Jesus. I thank you that he came for us, that he died for us, that he rose again for us, that he ascended into heaven at the right hand of the Father for the men and the women in this room to save us from our sin and to save us from our religion so that we could see you, so that we could rest in you, so that we could worship you, so that we could trust you. So I pray that as we respond this morning, we would do that, Uh, that we wouldn't be religious and look at everybody else and our family and our friends and how they do this. We would look internally and see how we do this, but how you rescue us out of it and you have something better. Father, help us. We need it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.